everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cast Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to what is hopefully a bounce back week, or, uh, or you know, you can just call it kind of what it is, and that's the injury bowl. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. both your Kansas State Wildcats and the Oklahoma State Cowboys are dealing with a with quite a bit of injuries and. Yeah, it. we'll go into that a little bit whenever we're previewing. But before we start in with this year, let's take a look back at 2021. And Connor has you for their record and offensive stats. Yep. So last year in 2021, Oklahoma State went 12-2, 8-1 in conference play. They had a, a Fiesta Bowl win over Notre Dame, and they were all of – like two or three inches away from winning the big 12 and going to the college football playoff. It's so painful. It That's really could so happen. Painful. I felt very bad for them. <laughs> I did too. We watched that game, didn't we? We did. Yeah. And that was a great, great game. I uh, just came up a little, just came up a little bit short. Uh, rush yards that 2,597 averaging 4.2 per rush and 27 rushing touchdowns that 3,246 passing yards completing 55.1% of them, 23 passing touchdowns to 13 interceptions, had a third down conversion percentage of 43.32, which is 39th in the country. Red zone, uh, they were scoring touchdowns 60.3% of the time, scoring 86.8% of the time. That was good for 38th in the country. They allowed 16 sacks on the year. Uh, They were scoring 31.07 points per game uh, for a total 435 points for yeah so in in they had a pretty you know reasonably balanced offense last year in terms of yardage but the real story about this Oklahoma State squad was their defense last year because they were by nearly all objective measurements a top five unit and in some measurements a top three unit only behind what is probably one of the best if not the best defense college football has ever seen in Georgia last year And uh, before anyone asks, no one was, but I still think that the 2019 LSU offense puts up like 40 on them. (laughs) And that's fair because nobody was stopping that group. No, (laughs) but in terms of Okie State's defense last year, they were only giving up 18.07 points per game, 253 total points, 2,943 passing yards and 17 passing touchdowns. And in a grand total of 14 games. (laughs) Gave up only 1,227 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. A third down percentage of 28.8%, which was fourth in the country. A red zone touchdown percentage of 56.2% and a scoring percentage of 87.5%. Good for 98th in terms of scoring and who knows in terms of touchdowns, but I imagine quite high. Nine interceptions, 24 forced fumbles, 57 sacks, and a turnover differential of zero. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, we've all seen the numbers on how excellent that group was, but it, it really is worthwhile to just occasionally sit back and get some additional perspective on it because I mean that that group last year was just absolutely unbelievable um we didn't know that 
going in the last year. No, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they they had yet to reveal uh, their hand. Um, fifty seven sacks is just absolutely ludicrous. I mean, what what do you do against that? Uh, that's cry. Um, yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just absolutely unbelievable stuff from. From, from that Oklahoma State defense last year. And really, if it wasn't for Georgia, the would have been one, maybe the best defense in the country. Yeah. But uh, who are they bringing back, Connor? Yeah. Uh, so notable returners, uh, Spencer Sanders, quarterback, uh, QB1. He's been the QB1 for quite some time now. Um, and so he's back again. I think it says last year that he might I have a COVID so. year. But... He may. I don't think so, though. He's in the running for uh, first team all conference, I would imagine. Um, as he's in his fourth year starting right now. Um, his completion percentage is down a little bit, but his touchdown to interception ratio is a lot better than it has been in the past. Um, then you have Colin Oliver, uh, defensive end. He was their sack leader last year with 11 and a half as a freshman. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's- what do you do? Yeah. Um, having a little bit of a quieter year this year with three sacks, which granted part of that is due to a, a pretty significant departure that Ace will get into. Um, Brock Martin, a defensive end slash linebacker, uh, second in sacks uh, for the uh, Cowboys last year and leading the team this year, I believe, with four. Uh, and then Derek Mason, new defensive coordinator from Auburn. He also was the head coach at Vanderbilt for a while. Actually took them to a bowl game, as I remember, which is no easy feat. Yeah, so, not at Vandy. Not at Vandy. Yeah. yeah, so that when you look at that, it's like, oh, well, they return a few pieces and get a new one. Uh, then you take a look at what they lost. <laughs> they lost Malcolm Rodriguez, who is their leading tackler. He ended up getting drafted to the Lions. Not a lot of people expected him to start, and lo and behold, he's the starting linebacker. They lost their second leading linebacker in Devin Harper, who's their second leading tackler, I should say, who's drafted to the Cowboys. They lost their second in passes defense, a cornerback named Christian Holmes. He was drafted to the Washington Commanders. They lost Jalen Warren, who is their leading rusher last year. He was an undrafted free agent to the Steelers. They lost Tay Martin, who is their leading receiver. He was an undrafted free agent to the 49ers. They lost Jarek Bernard Converse. He was their leader in passes defense. He transferred to LSU. They lost Tanner McAllister, who was one of the key cogs at safety that made this defense work. He transferred to Ohio State. They lost Colby Harvell Peel, who was their interception leading safety. He was lost to graduation. And then probably the thing that hurts it most is they lost Jim Knowles, their defensive coordinator, and they lost him to the other OSU, and that is Ohio State. Um... First off, I we've Connor and I have talked about this. Not sure if we've ever said it on the episode. Uh, Jim Knowles with Ohio State athletes should not happen. Shouldn't be allowed. That's not fair. <laughs> no, it is not. It's being proven as unfair right now because, I mean, that Ohio State team, their averages are getting really close to 2018 Clemson in terms of just having a ridiculous offense and a borderline unfair defense. You're probably looking at national title uh, winners right there. I would say at I, least they're going to get the re- favorite. I would put them as the favorite right now because we're, we're yet to really see them be truly challenged. Um, but yeah, Jim Knowles is a big part of that because uh, he was absolutely outstanding last year at Oklahoma State. Um, 
And then, yeah, they lose just so much talent uh, from that team. Uh, some draft, some graduation, some transfer. Um, just a, a really big group uh, to lose there. Yeah. But enough about last year. We can start talking about 2022. Connor, let's go over their schedule real fast, shall we? Yeah. Uh, so they started with Central Michigan. That was a win of 58 to 44. That game got really weird near the end because they were controlling that for most of the way. And then the defense just kind of collapsed yeah. down the stretch. They still win by two possessions, but Central Michigan made that way closer than it ever should have been. Mm-hmm. And probably was giving them some flashbacks to uh, that game where Central Michigan beat them in Stillwater. Yeah. Uh, then they beat Arizona State 34 17. Um, at home, they blow out Arkansas Pine Bluff 63 to 7. Then they go on the road, win at Baylor 36 25. They beat Texas Tech by 10, 41 31. Uh, and then they lose in double overtime to uh, TCU on the road 43 to 40. And then they beat Texas in a gritty win 41 to 34. Um, and their defense really came up big down the stretch in that game. Yeah, yeah they did. And that. There's going to be a lot of similarities that you can draw between our TCU and their TCU game because both of them were hampered by injuries, which is kind of where we are, where we are now. But again, that's got more into the you know general takeaways. But looking at their stats, maybe six and one record this year, three and one in conference, a thousand and seventy six rushing yards at three point nine per attempt. 2,192 passing yards at 7.7 per attempt, 17 passing touchdowns to five interceptions, 18 rushing touchdowns, and offensive third down percentage of 40.19, good for 63rd in the country, a defensive third down percentage of 25.45, which is fifth in the country because, of course, they are getting 44.71 points per game, 313.4, 201 against. Turnover differential of plus four, 18 sacks. A red zone scoring percentage on defense of 88.5 and a touchdown percentage of 61.5. And then on offense, they're scoring 94.4% of the time and getting a touchdown 69.4% of the time. So things that stuck out to me. Rushing yards exceedingly low for seven points and for seven games into the season. And they're not scoring touchdowns in the red zone as much as you would like them to. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also their defense I, on third down is stupid. That, that was the one thing I was about to add is uh, 25.45. That is a huge number that it's, it's going to be very, it's imperative that K-State find a way to overcome um, that at least to a certain degree, because this is an offense that has really struggled on third down uh, K-State's is. So uh, that, that's going to be a big number to keep an eye on, I think, is that third down percentage. But we'll see. Yeah, we will indeed see. But now we can start off with the general takeaways. Connor, you can take the uh, the purchase marked offensively, the personnel, and then up to motion. If that is all right, I'll allow it. Um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so big takeaway offensively, they're the second fastest offense in the country at 83.5 plays per game, as uh, absolutely incredibly high. Uh, very much a classic 
a big 12 offense in that regard. Like when, when people stereotype the big 12, that's the sort of thing that they think about is a NASCAR offense that's moving at incredibly high speeds. Um, even though most of the big 12 doesn't really do that anymore. Um, but personnel wise, um, they absolutely love their four wide sets. Uh, they'll run uh double stack and then trips as well. They ran a not insignificant amount of double stack uh, or two stack uh, against Texas in the second half. Um, when they use a tight end, uh, it'll be in a wing alignment and more often than not is going to be a split blocker um, play calling. Uh, despite not doing particularly great in the run game, they actually do run the ball more than they pass, albeit not by much. Uh, the run pass split is 51.1% run, 48.9% pass. Uh, 26.7% of the time, they when they're passing, it's going to be a play action. 17.2% of the time, it's screens. And they also do a lot of RPO. Uh, and then the running game, um, it's... A lot of different flavors of zone, inside zone, outside zone, inside zone split, uh, and then some design zone read. However, despite all of that creativity, they've really not been able to run the ball with much effectiveness as of late. Um, but yeah, you, you've got motion and everything beyond. Yeah. So in terms of motion, it's used both at the, at the receiver position and running backs, mostly to set up screens, sometimes as a coverage indicator. I'd say they do it with, I'd say it's a pretty even split of them not doing it and them doing it, which is pretty standard for most big 12 offenses, unless you're Kansas, in which case you're motioning like 80% of the time. But in terms of their specific passing concepts, the first one that just to go over a couple here, this isn't comprehensive. Like it pretty much was for the TCU game, which uh, yeah, that, that that's pretty much their playbook. <laughs> what we mentioned, but First things first is they have a swing screen slash go ball combination. The running back motions out to a trip side and the backside receiver runs a go that acts as the alert if it's a true one-on-one coverage situation. So if it's a true one-on-one, the ball's going to the go. If it's not, it's going to be a running back swing screen. Uh, Boot switch slot curl. Basically, it's from pistol. It's a hard play action fake to the running back. The fullback leaking out, the backside receiver running across and the slot receiver running a sideline stop and a post from the outside receiver. You can kind of think of it like a slightly, it's like a combination of flood and, uh, and oh, flood and smash kind of in a way it, you can also think of the, the sideline stop as a comeback. It's technically not the same, but it, you know, whatever it's, it's basically the same. And they run this a lot and a lot of other play action, especially boots because it eliminates their offensive line, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, switch verticals and run two vertical routes that eventually cross over each other, kind of like a like a DNA helix. The uh, outside receiver works the middle of the field. The inside works the boundary. They basically read that uh, third defender, middle third defender. If it's middle field open, like a cover two, they'll throw to the middle field. If it's like a cover three or a cover four and one of the quarters defenders is getting lazy, they'll try and hit a whole shot up the sideline. Then you have stick corner, which is like last week. It's a stick wrap, flack, and a corner. Uh, slot very, uh, slot fade, which we talked about last week. And then RPOs of all different types of flavors. Uh, split the field in half. One side's running a field. One side of the field's running a pass. The other's running a run. One that they really like is a speed slot out or slot speed out. 
which is like slot receiver running a five yard out, outside receivers just running a go or throwing a block. And then, of course, smoke screens. That's not all of their passing offense. That's just really the concepts that they enjoy the most. And if I had to pick one that I was really probably going to be looking out for, it is probably the boot passes and the go ball. Oh, not the voice crack. I'm actually a, oh, no. Oh, boy. Oh, my clock gone in a second. <laughs> um I would really watch out for the go balls and especially with the way that they run them on alerts that that's something that we need to be cognizant of, because if they see a one-on-one, the ball is coming your way. You don't need to worry about anything else, but that's their passing concepts and how they call their offensive plays. Now we can go into the specific players, starting with the man. I'm not going to say under center because Oklahoma state under center, a Lamal, but <laughs> The, the man taking taking the snaps, and that's uh, Spencer Sanders. Connor? Yeah, so Spencer Sanders, number three. He's in his fourth year of quarterback play for Oklahoma State. Uh, he has been the starter for the entire climate era, as I believe. And um, um, this year, completion percentage is a little lower than you'd like, but other than that, his stat line is actually pretty good. 58.8% completion percentage, 2,030 yards. 15 touchdowns to just four interceptions, 352 yards on the ground with another eight touchdowns there. So getting into the end zone a lot is Spencer Sanders. Uh, 74.5 overall on PFF, 67.9 pass grade, 75.3 run grade, uh, 53.5% uh, of his passes are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. His deep accuracy has definitely been spotty. He's only 40% once he's getting downfield. Uh, however, of his 18 deep completions, 10 of those are to his right. So he definitely seems to have a preference in that regard. Uh, uh, he has, though, gotten less careful with the ball in recent weeks, uh, particularly against TCU in Texas, uh, where turnover worthy plays. Uh, he was at 7% against TCU, 5.3% against Texas. Um, and he definitely should have been picked off more than once against Texas. Yeah. Probably uh, like three or four times. Yeah. So a uh, uh, rough, rough sledding for uh, Spencer Sanders at the moment. Uh, although granted, uh, being fair to him, he has been a little bit injured for a few weeks right now. Uh, just kind of battling through some pain. He is. Uh, then accuracy is very hit and miss. You can see that in the completion percentage. You can see that in his passing grades. Um, it's just some, sometimes he will hit absolutely every throw other times. It really doesn't matter if you're standing right next to him, he'll find a way to fumble the ball away, uh, and not complete it. Um, uh, he, he is just a very wishy-washy quarterback. Uh, that that's kind of been the, ironically, the main constant through his, uh, career is his inconsistency. Yeah. Um, the uh much of that is still footwork issues uh his footwork just ceases to exist at very strange times uh, but he is a very mobile quarterback so he's good at evading pressure using his legs uh which given his offensive line again we'll get into that a little later uh he absolutely needs that um and when he's looking around the field trying to find who to throw to his number one priority is to find a one-on-one -on -one matchup uh because he has a lot of trust in his wide receivers um, with uh, probably a decent justification for that, at least uh, yeah. with uh, some of them. Um, and then he definitely relies a lot on making a pre-snap read and having simple decisions. 
His arm strength is a little bit above average, uh, not by a lot, but it's it's okay. Um, although a lot of that, he he could be throwing a lot stronger if he stepped into his throws more consistently. Um, and then again, we've alluded to this already. He's definitely a uh, dual threat quarterback. Uh, his speed and elusiveness are both very good. Um, and he has really great ball carrier vision as well. Um, probably his biggest flaw as a quarterback, though, is his paranoia when it comes to pressure. He will bail on pockets a little bit too early and then sometimes will find himself in a worse spot than he was before. Um, in terms of quarterbacks that we have faced, he is probably in the top half of that group, but he is certainly not the best quarterback that we have faced so far this year. Yeah, that's that's kind of my general assessment is that, you know, he's he's a good quarterback. He's a good Big 12 quarterback. Going to be completely honest, him being all Big 12 first team last year was kind of by process of elimination. <laughs> because <laughs> they, I, I hate to say it, there weren't really that many good quarterbacks in the Big 12 last year who were healthy the entire season. So that's the big caveat. But Spencer Sanders is fine with a lot of flaws. But now we can move on to their running backs, which is uh, it's Dominic Richardson. And uh, I, I guess he has a backup, too. He occasionally appears sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but their number one running back is number 20, Dominic Richardson. He has 452 yards, 3.7 per attempt and eight touchdowns. His longest run is only 19 yards. <laughs> uh, that's Yikes. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. But he also has 21 catches for 218 yards in the air, a 72.5 PFF grade, 78.7 in the passing game, 71.9 in the running game. And yeah, he's unquestionably their lead back. It, there's there's no competition there, really. And a part of that is because he's a ridiculously powerful back. The man runs like a bulldozer. His He just wants to hurt you. Like, He's what we face in Travis Tice against uh, Southern Illinois. No, Southern South Dakota. Uh, he's that same play style. He's that bruising back. He's his first instinct is to run you over. He wants to bruise. And his priority one is to run forward, and move the pile, which, you know, granted that comes with being a power back, but specifically being a power back in the inside zone scheme. And this is probably his biggest flaw is that his vision isn't great and that he's just a kind of take it and leave it kind of running back. Like he's not going to make the spectacular, you know, he's not Deuce. He's the, like, he is quite literally the exact opposite of a back of Deuce Vaughn. Deuce is small shifty, can make a guy miss in the open field and is a home run threat every time he touches the ball. Dominic Richardson is a threat to give you, you know, six or seven yards per pop and he'll make the linebackers arms hurt and chest hurt a lot. And God help you if you're safety, but his vision is somewhat lacking because I, I kind of feel bad for his, his interior offensive line because instead of trying to go around them in inside zone, he opts to literally just dig his helmet directly into their back and try to push them forward which having been on the end of that, that sucks. That hurts a lot, especially if it's getting done like nearly every running play. <laughs> <laughs> but another part of his game is he's actually a shockingly good receiving back, which you don't expect out of bigger power backs. 
And the only NFL comp that I think of every time I hear power back and receiver is Spencer Ware, because that's like, that's the only person I can think of that really fits both descriptions. Yeah. I, I can't really think of anybody else off the top of my head. I mean, like you have, you have complete backs, but you don't really have like that power back who's neither here nor there. He's a really good receiver. Uh, His backup, Jaden Nixon, he has 114 yards, 5.2 per attempt and six catches for 39 yards. He has a really great run against Texas that shows he has a lot of potential. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm mentioning him. But outside of that run and the potential that he's shown, he's not contributing that much which is strange because I think he's probably the faster of the two. It might just be like a playbook knowledge thing. But yeah, Jaden Nixon has a potential. If Dominic Richardson goes down, they're not they're, The running game is not completely dead. It's already bad. It's already a very bad running game. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. Their running game is not good. But it it wouldn't die if Richardson went down. Connor, you have the, let's go first three receivers, and then I'll take the last one and the tight end. Oh, I know why you want the last one. Oh, (laughs) really? Oh, do you? (laughs) I do. So Bryson Green, number nine. Uh, So far this year, he's got 21 catches for 417 yards and five touchdowns, and he has not been listed as having a drop. Uh, 67.5 PFF grade, 66.8 in the past game. Uh, he has really great hands. Uh, he can hang on through contact and he makes really great catches at strange angles as well. Uh, he's a pretty good route runner as well with, uh, some legit speed too. uh, uses his hands to catch, not just his body. And he can truly attack the ball when it's in the air. Uh, really his only real weakness uh, is his release packages and his first few steps. Uh, he doesn't get up to his top speed uh, all at once. Um, and he is still a bit more unproven against uh, some of the more violent press corners. Um, but his ceiling still remains very, very, very high. Uh, does Bryson Green. Um, 6'1", 205. He's got solid size. Uh, and he had a He's had two really great weeks back to back with both of five catches and one fifteen plus and a touchdown uh, through the air. So he's on a bit of a hot streak right now, uh, averaging almost 20 yards per reception. So he has been in the midst of a really good uh, middle portion of the season. So definitely somebody to account for there. Um, following him, though, is Braden Johnson with 20 catches for 398 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he does have four drops, though, for a 16.7% drop rate, 64.1 on PFF, and a 64.7 in the pass game. Uh, his hands are very spotty, as the drop rate would suggest, um, as is his ability to track the ball. Um, his route running is pretty good, and he creates space well, and he is just genu- generally a pretty fast receiver, uh, senior uh, experienced guy. He's been a little bit quiet recently. Did not play against Texas, or I should say at least did not register a statistic against hey, Texas. He, he didn't play. So injured. I'm not uh, sure he plays this next week either. Yeah. Again, this is a really banged up team uh, and kind of similar to uh, to K-State in that regard. Uh, then you throw in Brennan Presley, who has 
uh, 36 catches for 413 yards, two touchdowns, uh, and just one drop on the year. It's a 2.7% drop rate, uh, 71.7 on PFF, 72.3 in the past game. He's a kick returner, um, and his rack ability is really, really good. He's very reliable. He's a physical receiver despite being 5'8", 175. Uh, he is willing to lower his shoulder and try and break through tackles. Uh, prototypical kind of in that sense of just kind of your undersized uh, gritty receiver. Um, he's a junior at this point. Um, he's very, very fast and he's not like the other two guys um, where they've been hot in, in some parts of the year and not in others. He's just kind of been fairly consistently solid throughout this year. If you go back through his game log, he's really not had much in the way of objectively bad games. Um, and he's, he's been generally a consistently good receiver throughout this season. He's definitely somebody that we're going to keep an eye on as more of a weapon. Uh, even though his yardage isn't highest on the team, he does have uh, significantly more yardage than, uh, the first two guys, uh, that I spoke about. So then you've got our last receiver ace. Yeah. The last receiver is number 17, John Paul Richardson. And he has 29 catches for 314 yards on the year, three touchdowns, and two drops for a 6.5% drop rate. 68.1 PFF grade, 67.6 in the passing game. And he's very good at using his body as a part of running his routes. And he just uses his body to create separation without pushing off. You're not going to body him. He just won't let you. He very simply will not allow you to do so. And he's just the embodiment of a truly physical receiver. He, his goal is to play bully ball. His goal is to not, his game is not to go over the top of you and moss you because his goal is to make sure that you are never in the position to be mossed in the first place. And if you put it in his radius and it's a contested catch, the contact is not what's going to cause him to drop it. It's because he probably lost concentration. But, you know, he's also just a real gym rat, just the coach's favorite player. First guy in, last guy out. He genuinely does have, you know, deceptive speed, really good slot receiver, really good run blocker. You know, he sounds like a really blue collar receiver. Yeah, he's a he's a real, real, uh, real blue collar receiver. Wow. But that's uh, that's an apt description. I can I can see him in my head right now. (laughs) But yeah, number six and number two, I forgot to write down their names, and I think I did that for their backup center as well. But they're both contributing in the receiving game as well. Number six especially stepped in after Braden Johnson couldn't play in the Texas game. And uh, he also got rocked that game. But he held on to the ball. So good for him. (laughs) And then uh, number six is uh, Stephon Johnson Jr. Um. Number two might not be a real player. No, yeah. there he is. Taylor Shetron. I was about to say, like, I, I hope he is real. I hope I did not very simply write down a player who did not exist. No, he he exists, uh, Taylor Shetron. Okay. But in terms of tight ends and fullbacks, they have Braden Cassidy, number 90. They have another one. It, it, it almost doesn't matter. Braden Cassidy has two catches for 33 yards on the area, 50.5 PFF grade, 40.1 in the passing game, 64.5 in the run block. He's a run blocking tight end. 
And the last time that we said that, a tight end absolutely waxed us for two touchdowns. So um, maybe shut up. But we mean it this time. <laughs> he actually doesn't have much receiver upside. And he's not asked to do it. In fact, one of his catches was a blown coverage against TCU. I'm not sure if it was a blown coverage or a trick play. I'm forgetting. I think it was a trick. No, it was a trick play because it was a triple reverse to Spencer Sanders and the ball was thrown up the sideline. He almost dropped it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was his moment. He almost almost blew it. He almost lost himself in the moment. (laughs) But (laughs) you – okay. that's that's two. We get two. <laughs> the next up is offensive line. Connor, you can take the left side of the line and the center. Yeah. So starting with the left tackle, you have Caleb uh, Etienne, uh, number seventy six. He's in the first year as a starter. Um, PFF grade fairly low right now at a fifty one point five. Uh, it does have a higher uh, pass block at 65.8, but his run block is very low, 41.3. Um, he needs a bit of work uh, right now because he's using his body to block. Uh, he tends to just let people get outside uh, of his frame, uh, and that's leaving himself at a, a bit of a disadvantage. Um, he, a lot of times on this block, is reaching a little bit too much and just kind of hoping to slow the guy down as opposed to truly engaging uh, with them and really setting himself up in a good spot. Um, he does play a little bit too high, and when he's under significant stress, he's not the best at keeping technique, so he can cross himself up uh, sometimes rather than sliding back in his kick slides. It's kind of a Duffy moment. It's, it's kind of that, He's setting himself up for a Duffy moment. It's an absolute shame. I mean, that could have happened to anybody, really. It really could have. But moving on to left guard, Taylor Materko. Uh, number 68 he's also in his first year starting and pff really does not like this guy uh he has a 49.2 overall a uh 40.2 pass block and a 49.4 run block um and you know maybe pff is on to something um he's not really that great he doesn't keep his head up on stunts he's getting overpowered in pass protection a lot um, he doesn't really redirect rushes uh, either. Uh, like He just kind of accepts his fate uh, and says, well, I, I suppose I've lost this one. And uh, so he doesn't really have good strength at the point of attack, uh, but his lateral agility isn't really keeping up with anybody either. And he's not a super heady player. Uh, so he should be a target for K-State's defense, especially with a fairly battered, uh, linebacking core and uh, defensive ends playing through injury. Um, they should be finding ways to attack this guy on the interior. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry to like, we're kind of sorry to go in on him that hard, but like there is genuinely very, very little to like about his game. That which shame, shame. could have happened to anybody. Yeah, uh, and it, it is what it is. It, it's very unfortunate. And you you look at him, he's got good size. Uh, he is a junior, so you might expect a little bit more. Um, but, you know, now that we're saying this, he is about to have the game of his life. Yeah, uh, because the, the classic alley catch jinx. But I have the right side of the line and then the more on top of it. Uh, starting off with their center, uh, he's hurt. <laughs> uh, 
their starting center number 74 is hurt and uh, his return is unknown and his replacements are not good. So first things first, let's just try and talk about Preston Wilson in case he does return. I don't know. It's his third year starting 54.1 PFF grade, 68.7 in the, in the passing game and 55, 50.5 in the run block. And his biggest thing is he doesn't stay himself square. He doesn't keep himself square when he's blocking. He also doesn't wait for his punch to get extension. He just kind of extends his arms right at the snap, which is not what you really want to do. You want to maybe take a step back, let them get one step closer to you. So that way you can punch them with more force as opposed to, you know, full arms extended and hope for the best. Because that leaves you susceptible to a lot of a lot of problems as well. If it's not Preston Wilson, their backup center, number 66, if he has to play again, uh, he has trouble placing his snaps as a center. And outside of that, he's also not good at blocking. <laughs> uh, do you yeah. have any injury updates on either center? Um, no, I do not. Um, as I recall, uh, Joe Mahalski um, has been playing a little bit for them. That, is that 66 or 56? 66. Okay. Yep. The only reason I name him is because I believe he was a KC recruiting target at one point. He's a junior now. He's out of KCK. Um, so I, I mainly think of him just because I recognized him as a Kansas name. Um, and based on your expression, he's not doing too well. <laughs> we uh, we didn't miss. We. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to sauce on this offensive line, but they, the right side of the line is genuinely much better. <clears throat> Starting with number 70, Hunter Woodard. He's in his third year starting as a 73.5 PFF grade, 81.7 pass block, 70.7 run block. And despite his high grades, he can get bullied pretty bad by more powerful defensive ends. This was happening I got, uh, with um, a Jomo in, uh, in the Texas game. He was he was kind of getting rained for his foams by a Jomo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this is uh, it's especially notable if the defensive end attacks the gap and not the player. And I think that a lot of defensive line coaches will kind of pick up on that. But he he has one very good trait, and that is when he does get his hands on you and he gets his hands on you square and he squares you up, you're done. I'm sorry, you're gone. Not much you can do. Shame. Could have happened to anybody. Good luck next snap because you're not beating him this one. And to his credit... He that does happen more often than it doesn't. It's 60 40, but <laughs> that is more than less. <laughs> exactly. It's the majority of his snaps, but he's not the absolute. And another thing is he's not the worst at keeping his head up for rushers, but he has his misses. He does miss. But Hunter Woodard is a very solid, you know, starting guard for this team, especially given, you know, how they prioritize agility. And Jake Springfield, who's the one player that I remember from last year, number 61, the right tackle. He's is his third year starting. He had a 67.8 PFF grade, 76.8 pass block, 62.2 run block. And his biggest problem is he has genuine trouble with getting to good speed rushers to his outside, which given we have a Nate Matlick, that's probably a cause for concern. But he also gets a lot of chip help, so they're trying to. They know that, and they're trying to help him out. And he plays himself a bit too high in the running game. I think he's trying to focus too much on lateral movement. That he's not focusing too much on where his body is. Which fair enough, he's big enough to where he can get away with it at this level. But defending against more powerful rushers is where his game really shines. And 
because he just doesn't let you go through him. He's very good at anchoring and pass protection. He's very good at keeping himself maintained straight up light whenever he's, you know, in run, run, run blocking. And he's also pretty good at defending himself against hand fighting techniques, which is strange considering his issues with outside rushes, but Hey, he he's a pretty solid starting right tackle. And this unit collectively are giving up pressure 27.4% of the time and have given up 10 sacks throughout the year. So they're not giving up many sacks, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that Spencer Sanders simply bails before they have a chance to become sacks. The pressure number is very telling. It's one in four or, you know, slightly above one in four. So take for that what you will. So that's the offensive side of the ball. And to kind of put a bow on it, I understand exactly why their running game is not working. Their receivers are ridiculously talented all across the board. And the the entire offense is pretty much predicated off of, you know, quick game, making sure they get the ball out quickly. And whenever they get their shots for one-on-one, Spencer Sanders is going to go for that one-on-one ball. So you have to be awake if you're going to play any man coverage. But now, Connor, you can go ahead and start with the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, so like pretty much everybody in the Big 12 not named KU, they're running a 3-3-5 defense. In fact, they were kind of an early adopter of that defense. Uh, they do play it like a 4-2-5. Um, so it, it is pretty rare they don't have four up on the line. Um, so in terms of fronts, it's kind of a mixture of uh, the following things. It's a variation of the tight front with a stand-up wide nine and a shade to the opposite strong side and a three and a five on the weak side, uh, a more balanced front with a shade and two five techs alongside a nine. Uh, and then they'll play a more two, four, five look with an over. Uh, and then sometimes against bigger personnel, they'll move into a bear. Um, and then they're generally going to be sending uh, an additional rusher beyond that four man surface. Uh, that's kind of where they, make their bread and butter is in the pass rush uh, coverage wise. Uh, they play a ton of man, especially cover one hole uh, very similar to TCU in that regard. Yeah. It, the, the best way that I can kind of describe this defense is if TCU was much more fond of playing, well, not necessarily much more fond, but exclusively played with four men on the line because the, the hybrid edge rusher position that lines up as a nine that's called, I think in their terminology, it's called the Leo defender. It's that hybrid. You can kind of think of it like a, a Bill Belichick uh, or Belichick. You can kind of think of it as one of his edge rushers that he has. That's the best way to kind of think about it for that NFL comp. But, you know, it's, they always play from a four man surface, and, but they're still kind of playing similar fronts to others. They don't run stack. They're not Iowa State. They're not. Um, they're not West Virginia. They don't run stack. But yeah, it, let's start off with their interior defensive line, who's just one guy at this point because Brandon Evers retired. <laughs> so they're not only do they have injuries, they have retirements now, <laughs> which is such a shame. But their leading nose tackle is Sione Asi, number ninety nine. He has 17 tackles on the year, six and a half TFLs, one sack, one pass breakup, and two quarterback hurries. 
a 69.2 PFF grade, a 74.7 run defense, 47.4 tackling, and a 62.5 pass rush. And first thing that jumps out to me about his game is he's a pretty solid bull rusher, especially when he's attacking with a, a one-arm stab move he has, which is normally a move more reserved for, you know, tight, not tight ends, goodness gracious, defensive ends, you know, more three techniques, but he does it from a nose position. It works for him. But like you expect a nose tackle to be, he's extremely strong. In fact, he is an extraordinarily strong nose tackle. He's probably maybe second or third strongest nose tackle in the Big 12 because Siaki Ika is a freak of nature who should not exist. <laughs> it's probably him and, uh, and Huggins. Eli Huggins are probably tied for two there. But he's strong. He's not going to get bullied in the running game. And he knows how to flow along with the play in a zone running game, meaning he can get himself some TFLs even on outside zone plays. And as a pass rusher, his main asset is his strength and his ability to warrant two blockers. He's, in short, he's a true pocket pusher that makes quarterbacks uncomfortable. And although he doesn't win dominantly enough to get a lot of sacks, he's there to make you uncomfortable. And given his strength, I, I know we've said this multiple times at this point, and granted, the interior offensive line has massively stepped it up since, but I still have my concerns against really strong nose tackles against our interior offensive line. But that's either here nor there. That's that's uh, Sione Asi. Uh, you can take the um, next uh, Tyler Lacey and Colin Oliver because Brock Martin's kind of a special case. All right. Uh, so Tyler Lacey so far this year, 26 tackles, 8.5 tackles for loss, three sacks, pass breakup, and four QB hurries. Um, he is absolutely killing it with PFF. An 85.7 overall grade, a 90.7 in run defense, 67.6 tackle grade, and a 70.6 in the pass rush. He is very, very experienced. He's an intelligent player, and he reads defensive keys at as the end spot exceptionally well. Uh, he's a very strong uh, player in the run game. Uh, he might be the best run defending defensive end in the Big 12. Um, if he were in any other scheme, he'd probably be a true defensive end, uh, but he has the athletic ability uh, to do that and other things as well. And he has a really nice arm over move. Uh, and then Colin Oliver last year was the sack leader for Oklahoma State, caused a lot of problems for a lot of Big 12 teams uh, as a freshman. Uh, 14 tackles, four and a half TFLs, three sacks, and 10 QB hurries so far this season. A uh, 73.6 PFF grade, 60.8 in the run defense, 52.3 tackle, and then a 75.6 pass rusher. Um uh he uh as a pass rusher, though, he does sometimes struggle getting hands off. Um, but he can generate push if nothing else. Uh, he is a high motor, very fast player. Uh, he cannot be left unblocked, period. Uh, that it's just not doable. Uh, his skill set is very conducive to a speed to power type of style, uh, kind of like Khalil Mack. Uh, he is not Khalil Mack, but he, <laughs> it's a style he, comparison. It's he plays st- very similarly. Uh, and then he's going to use his athleticism to gain speed and then attack you. Uh, kind of a popular flashy uh, pass rush style because uh, he's an uber, uber athlete. And he can do a really, really good job at that. Yeah. And uh, 
Then we get to to Brock Martin. And the reason why I kind of want to treat him as a special case is that, yeah, Tyler Lacey can play their Leo defender. Brock Martin is the guy they would like to, in their perfect world, would love to keep as their their, uh, Leo defender. He has 19 tackles on the year, five TFLs, three sacks, one pass breakup, seven QB hurries, and one forced fumble and a partridge in a pear tree. But here's the thing. <laughs> He's hurt and didn't play in the Texas game. And this is another case where I, I don't know. I simply don't know if he's going to be coming back. But, you know, the fact that he missed the Texas game, that's that that was big. That was big that entire game. He has a 76.8 PFF grade, 84.6 run defense, 59.5 tackling, 68.4 pass rush. I'm going to be honest, his PFF grade seemed low to me. <laughs> uh, he moves all around as a stand-up rusher from an outside guy to a mug defender guy in the B cap. And he just plays strong at the point of attack, even from a stand-up position. You don't expect someone from a stand-up position to be as strong as he does, especially in the running game against tackers, tackers, tackles that are bigger than him. And as a run defender, he's just about everything you could ask for. He's strong. He maintains his gap. He can play force. He can play fill. He can play spill. He can play every single phase of the running game, and he can play it extraordinarily well. He is their hybrid defender for a reason. And for his size and position, he has really good athleticism. But the worst part of it is his first step, which is just okay. And he's even asked to drop into coverage on occasion, which, you know, it's a choice. But he he's still obviously a drop rusher. Like he's he's treated as a rusher and it's yours, you know, sparingly. But he hasn't embarrassed himself doing it yet. But his biggest weakness is that he doesn't really have any go-to moves in pass rush. He'll try to swipe your arms down and then power through you, but that's that's about it. He's not a big finesse guy, but Brock Martin's probably their best player on defense. And this is still a defense that has a lot of talent. So Brock Martin's their Leo. And if they're missing him, they're, this that's a big loss. It was a big loss against Texas. They won the game, but realistically, if Texas wasn't Texasing itself, they probably should have lost. But that leads, Connor, you can take the linebackers and the first, I suppose, for this week in quotation marks, corner. Okay. So linebacker, you start with number zero, Mason Cobb. He's got 61 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, two sacks and interception and seven QB hurries. Uh, His overall grade on PFF is a 62.4. Not a great run defender, 44.6 on that department. 40.6 in tackling, very low uh, for a linebacker. And then 80.6 pass rush, which is outrageously high for a linebacker. And then a 74.7. Uh, coverage grade really really strange grades there for a linebacker uh, nothing really adds up there um but yeah uh, in the running game he does rely a lot on that defensive line and to be fair if you're going to rely on a d-line oklahoma states is not a bad choice yeah. because they're they're very good um and he's not a particularly good tackle either as his grade indicates uh he just doesn't really get his head in the right position uh when he's going for a tackle with that being said he is still a very uh uh high motor uh, hair on fire type of player to both his benefit and his detriment. Uh, he uh, will just throw himself at anything that is moving and has something resembling a football and mm-hmm. uh, their arms. Um, 
then that, that's as far as his uh, play recognition really goes. And it, it sometimes kind of works. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, he is pretty good in pass coverage. Uh, he reads QBIs uh, very well in zone. Uh, although he is a touch slow actually getting to the ball, he does at least identify where it's going pretty quickly. Um, and then you get to Xavier Benson. Uh, he transferred in from Texas Tech. Uh, he has 46 tackles, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, and then five quarterback hurries. Uh, he's a little bit more well-rounded uh, than Cobb. 67.1 overall on PFF, a 71.5 in the run defense department, 75.9 tackle grade, 62.5 pass rush, and 62.2 in uh, in uh, coverage. Uh, then he plays very fast and physical, uh, but he is, he is capable of overrunning his gap uh, in the running game quite often. Um, the Texas uh, counter run, uh, they they took advantage of him uh, completely overrunning his gap more than once. Um, he doesn't shuffle to fit the run as much as he just sprints at it. Um, it, it can only be described as a RB playing LB, and <laughs> it's not always what you want. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's rarely what you want. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's 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 not pretty often. It's also worth saying that a uh, Mason Cobb is more often than not the hole defender, and they're covering one hole. So, you know, it most of the time you should expect him to kind of drop into coverage unless they're not running a, a middle field defender, and then he blitzes, and he's just very good at finding holes. Yeah. Um. So that's it for the linebackers then. Uh, and then I'll take the first corner, uh, number seven, Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, 29 tackles on the year, half a tackle for loss, five pass breakups. Um, okay, great. 65.1 overall for PFF. 70.3 in the run defense, which is very high for a corner. 63.7 tackle grade, 63.3 coverage. Um, he does play outside corner, but not for long. He has been drafted to the safety room <laughs> due to yeah. injury. Uh, which is it could happen to anybody. Um, yeah. When an off coverage, which he pretty much always is, he is taking a second or two to take his step forward, which has cost him a few pass breakups that uh, he would otherwise have had. Uh, he does not have elite speed uh, as a corner, uh, and he can get toasted pretty quickly uh, vertically, paging Eli Apple. And <laughs> then uh, he is fairly stiff in the hips. Uh, which that that once again only helps contribute to his struggles in deep coverage, um, and his uh, his coverage grade is already not phenomenal. It's generous at best at sixty three point three. Um, he, based on some film, is not very good uh, no. in coverage. So maybe a move to safety will help him. <laughs> but we'll... yeah, either that or because he's playing the third safety and because he's stiff in the hips, that might hurt him. Because he's going to have to play the slot. We shall see. Uh, Good luck and not this week, Jabbar Muhammad. (laughs) But any other week, I hope you do well. (laughs) Yeah. Next up is Corey Black, who's the other outside corner. He has 11 tackles, one PBU, a 60.3 PFF grade, 63.3 run defense, 67.4 tackling, 59.3 coverage. Uh, His biggest flaw is in-man coverage, which this team runs a lot. He can get himself turned around really bad, and he oversets on whatever initial move is made. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he has a tendency to want to funnel players rather than truly defend them. 
So if he oversets to the outside, his first goal is it doesn't matter if he's in the slot. He wants to funnel you to the sideline. Unfortunately for him, you can't really do that in the slot. It That's not how that works. <laughs> but that also, if he oversets to the outside, he leaves the inside wide open. He doesn't stay in phase very long. He doesn't let himself stay square. He opens himself up one way or another, which if we get a little more crafty with our route running, honestly, we were plenty crafty with it last week, which is why we got so many people open in man coverage. If we maintain that, that Corey Black's not going to have a very good day. He's he's going to have a bad time. But next up is Thomas Harper, who he's been downgraded to unlikely. He is going his third uh, safety position slash slot corner is going to be replaced by Jabbar Muhammad. And uh, if you remember him, he was the guy who got two interceptions up against Texas last week, including the last interception, which sealed the game. That's actually the play where he hurt himself. He did something to his knee, probably hyperextended it. He's unlikely to play, but I don't think he's been officially ruled out yet. But he's probably closer to a jack safety, but listed as a slot corner. I think Oklahoma State calls it cowboy, which is the second, you know, second position that they call cowboy because the other one's their fullback. I wonder if the the wires ever get crossed there. <laughs> yeah, it's a little strange. Also, looking at their roster, they don't actually list a tight end. Uh, it's just all fullbacks that they yep. have them under. A little yep. interesting. The more you know, but yeah, Thomas Harper has twenty seven tackles, one and a half TFLs, one pick. Well, I, I could have sworn he had two. No, no, no. The other, the the first one was a different player. He had the game ceiling pick. And then two pass breakups, a 60 flat PFF grade, 62.7 run defense, 57.9 tackling, 66.1 coverage. And at times, he kind of settles more into playing grass than playing the nearest guy in zone. And tackling is a bit rough, and he's not going to take someone down on his own. That's just not a part of his game, which granted, he's a defensive back. That's not a part of a lot of their games. But... Thomas Harper was their jack player, and he was probably the best fit for there because he does have a degree of lateral agility that the other two don't. And he also doesn't let himself get jebated sitting in the slot every single rep. <laughs> but he's unlikely to play. Jabbar Muhammad will be taking that spot. Now we can move into their next safeties, including their third safety, who I think what they'll probably deploy is going to be Jabbar Muhammad. Corey Black, and then the next three safeties that we list, which, Connor, you have all three safeties. All right, so we start with number 25, Jason Taylor. Uh, He's actually the only remaining member of the secondary from last year, which was a really great secondary. Uh, He does primarily play free safety, but he can move around a little bit. Uh, He's got 52 tackles on the year, two tackles for loss, three picks, and then six pass breakups. 72.5 in PFF, 60 flat in run defense, 71.4 in tackle department, and then a 76.3 coverage grade. So all around uh, pretty solid. Um, Even as a free safety, though, he is kind of passive in the run game. Uh, He he treats himself as a true safety. Um, And that sounds a little redundant to say, but (laughs) he, hear me out. He he really is, uh, he the the safety blanket 
for this defense. He is there to prevent uh, the home run in both the run game and the pass game. Uh, he is very good at flowing alongside a passing play. Uh, so that means he doesn't just sit middle field. He reads which way the deep threats are going to flow and then kind of heads in that general direction uh, to prevent the big play. Uh, and then his speed is pretty solid. Um, that is all. <laughs> but yeah. he's a he's all around good player. Um, Jason Taylor is. Uh, Kendall Daniels, uh, on the other hand, number five, he is primarily a box guy, uh, which is fascinating given some of his rankings uh, yeah. on PFF. <laughs> Uh, 31 tackles, four tackles for loss, two interceptions, and three quarterback hurries. Uh, 64.4 PFF grade, a 51.9 in run defense, and then a 33.3 tackle grade, which is one of the worst that we've seen. And then actually pretty solid uh, above average, 70.2 in coverage. Uh, as a blitzer, though, he is pretty creative in how he ducks uh, angles. Uh, there's times that... Uh, the communication with him and the other corners, however, is not quite there yet, primarily on coverage trade-offs. Um, and a, more often than not, that miscommunication is kind of on him. Uh, but he is very good when he's playing coverage in a downhill sort of way, uh, kind of as like a rolling safety in a hook zone, rather than the sort of player that Jason Taylor is, where he really likes playing that wide open spaces, uh, deep, uh, safety blanket sort of guy. Um, and that takes us to the last guy, Sean Michael Flanagan, uh, number 18. He is their other strong safety, 32 tackles and one pass breakup, uh, 67.3 on PFF, a 73.4 run defense grade, uh, just under 80 at tackle uh, with a 79.9 and then a 63.1 in coverage. Uh, he really is a good tackler. Uh, he hangs on for dear life to make his tackles. Uh, and he does a really good job at that. And there, there's a reason that his grade is that high. Uh, and it adds, and only to add to it, he's probably their best run defending safety. Um, uh, he could probably be a good dime linebacker. Um, but they, they elected not to, and that that's okay, I guess. That's fine. Uh, the division, the division one college football coaches can do what they please. Yeah. And, <laughs> Uh, then in open space, he is really not necessarily the best. He kind of runs himself into blocks at times. That kind of that kind of like rolls uh, with uh, his more natural uh, kind of like run defender tackler kind of role uh, that he wouldn't be as graceful in space necessarily, uh, but not, not bad or overtly terrible, uh, just uh, not the greatest. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh... To, to briefly summarize their defense, their defensive line is very good, probably the best that we've seen in the Big 12 so far. Their linebacking room is okay, comparable to TCU's. Their defensive back room is not good. <laughs> it, it, to, to be abundantly clear and to be frank, they're bad. They're not a good unit. They're not a cohesive unit. They don't really seem like they're they're working together on a lot of plays and just the individual pieces aren't really there. Their outside corners especially are susceptible to, to getting bullied. And I, I don't know who comes after Jabbar Muhammad who slips into that uh, apparently cornerback one role, if he's going to be playing the slot. But if those are the two, they kind of put out in front of them, I wouldn't necessarily be optimistic. 
But yeah, we can go into the stories to watch going into the game. First and foremost, how much does K-State get back from injury after a, frankly, a tsunami of injuries in the TCU game? Uh, That's a fascinating question, and I think you have to break it down uh, spot by spot. Um, Kleiman did go on record today and say that Will uh, is going to be healthy. Uh, Will Howard, that is, uh, which isn't overly surprising, really, because he came back and played. Um, Josh Hayes, he came back and played as well, so we can apply that same logic to him, probably. Um, Daniel Green, I'm not getting my hopes up. He kind of seemed like he was the most battered out of everybody. Deuce finished the game. I'm not worried there. Adrian, of course, is the big question mark. Um, I'd imagine that some of it is going to be how confident they feel and will to execute their game plan. And then some of it will be, uh, will he be ready? It may it may be a situation where he doesn't start, but if, uh, if need be, he might come in. Uh, and then again, he may just start. I don't want to speculate too much on that. Yeah. Uh, just because we we don't have all the information, and anything I say would just be a blind guess. Yeah. Um, but um, the only ones I'd say I feel confident in are Khalid Duke is obviously missing a half, mm-hmm. and then the guys who came back and played after being hurt. It, I, I'd say it's not unreasonable that they'll be able to come back uh, and start uh, or at least play in this game. Guys like Deuce and Josh Hayes. Um, We'll see. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of there. I I'm confident we see Deuce Hayes. Uh, confident we see Will. Will's already been confirmed. The only person that I just outright don't think we'll see at all. I don't think we'll see. I don't think we'll see Daniel Green this game. Yeah. But again, that's speculation. Kleiman said himself he didn't know and that he wouldn't know until uh, this evening, the evening we're recording. And a lot of it, he said, would be based off of the fact that, you know, it's going to be who practices on Thursday. And it, if you'll excuse my roommate, I'm not sure if you can hear him. But is the the next question is is yours. Yeah. So is this truly a, an injury bowl? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. for... For Oklahoma State, you have Spencer Sanders, who's been playing dinged up since seemingly, you know, three or four weeks ago. You have Brock Martin, who didn't play last week. You have their uh, third corner, forgetting his name, Thomas Harper, who's been downgraded to unlikely. You have, I think at this point, they've tried three different centers, and they're down to their third one that they're trying. Then you just, they're riddled with injuries. They really are. And, you know, it... It's not nothing positions either. They're they're down to position. They're losing, or at least they're lost last week. One of their starting receivers. They're dealing with a quarterback who's been hobbled a little bit, and at times it's kind of shown. And they're missing out on their hybrid defender, who's probably their best defender. So, and then of course K State. We already listed all their injuries. So really, it's it's a matter of who comes back for each side. Yeah, um, you. I think you put it well. Uh, until we see otherwise, I'm going to assume that this is going to be an injury bowl because um, we don't know unless you ask Mike Gundy, who is starting at quarterback <laughs> for K-State this Saturday because he seemingly has the lowdown on Adrian Martinez's health. 
on a, I, I'm one side of me gets really annoyed by that. The other side of me makes me think that honestly, why not believe him at this point? Really? <laughs> like, like he's been around the block. He's an elder statesman. He, he maybe he knows something. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's pretty fair to call it an injury bowl. Yeah. And related to that question and related to Mike Gundy, who starts at quarterback for K-State? If you were, if you had to venture a guess, who would you say starts? Gosh, I really have absolutely no idea. Uh, especially because we had, we really didn't have an inkling that Adrian was actually hurt at all until after the first drive uh, against TCU. Uh, There's nothing they got out about that. And then uh, all of a sudden, yeah, he just uh, aggravated it on the very first drive and just couldn't go. Um, but on that note, I'm going to say Adrian at least is going to try to give it a go. We shall see. I, I'm really a coin flip right now, but it just depends on the severity of Adrian's injury. So, it, Gun to my head, if I had to guess, I'd say Will. I would say Will starts. And I, I do think that, just like you, I do think Adrian gives it a go. I think that, you know, they see how he feels and warm up, see if he can grit through it. But I really do think that Will probably starts this game. And I can't really tell you why. I don't, I can't tell you a, a definitive reason why it's just a gut feeling I have, which, you know, I know my gut feeling is going up against Mike Gundy's gut feeling, <laughs> but I think it's going to be Will. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And, you know, is obviously would I rather have the starting quarterback that's been starting the entire year? Yes. Am I going to immediately start crying and vomiting on myself because Will Howard gets to start a game? No. Because I think Will can handle himself and he showed that he can handle himself. And, you know, obviously the moment he throws an incompletion, there will be people with the IQ that is equivalent to the room temperature of Alaska to say like, oh, we need to put in Rubley. Goodness gracious. I'm dealing. I'm ready to deal with those people if he does start. Yeah, I've heard some version of put in Rubley, I think, at every home game this year. (laughs) Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, I. (sighs) <sighs> let's move on to the next question. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Any whomst <laughs> uh, do the receivers separate against another man heavy team? Yes. <laughs> Cause I think their secondary is worse than TCU's. And I, I think it's a lot worse. I think it's a lot, a lot, a lot worse because at least TCU had Josh Newton. who was quietly, you know, one of the better man pepper corners in the big 12. And Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who at least has experience. This secondary is not only depleted, they're they're not good when they're at full strength. You know, I I truly think that if Malik Knowles is just going to outright, you know, Texas toast someone this week, you know, because he's from Texas and you know, toast, but I why did I explain the joke? <laughs> I, I I can't answer that. <laughs> but I if if Malik is going to burn someone this week, he's gonna he's gonna burn someone. Like if he's gonna burn anyone in any week, he's going to burn someone this week because the corners don't have that that next tier of athleticism. This is a week where the deep the deep ball will be open, the deep ball will be available, and I think that given how we separated reasonably well against TCU, which I frankly didn't expect, 
I, I think we can more than do it against Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Um, if you'd asked me last week, I probably would have said no. But yeah. then we did exactly what we need to do against, I would say, a better version of that secondary, like you said, um, at least in terms of uh, their main coverage abilities. Uh, so, And this is not only a secondary that's not as good uh, already, it's also a little banged up. Uh, so this is a great opportunity for our receivers to really make some noise. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that they they should. <laughs> Will they? That's a whole different question because you never know what receiver core you're getting week to week. That's true. Next question. Can K-State run on what is probably the second best defensive line in the Big 12? I think ours is the best. No, we, we don't have... Well, we probably have the best defensive end. We don't have the best nose tackle. If we had Siaki Ika, we would be cheating. It would basically be unfair. <laughs> right. Um, I will tentatively say kind of. Um, I, I think that there will be moments where it works and moments where it doesn't. Uh, I think we'll see some reliance on throwing the ball uh, at times uh, and maybe some more creative uh, run fits um for the offense but uh we shall see uh if we are running i imagine we're gonna do a lot of it to the left side um uh, to just get behind kt and Cooper pb um but we'll see yeah i the thing is is that the number one scheme that really worked against this team last week against texas was counter they were getting just absolutely waxed by counter last week we don't run a lot of counter at k-state at least not from shotgun. That being said, I still think that there are opportunities, especially in the quarterback running game, provided, you know, disaster doesn't strike and Will goes down again, assuming he starts. But I I really think that this is, it's not a defensive line that will outright dumpster us and not allow us to get anything. I do think that this, I will be extraordinarily happy if we get to, you know, at least 150. I think we can get there and I think we can go a little bit past it, but I, I don't think that they're going to let what happened to them against Texas. I don't think that's, they're going to let that happen again. And if they do, we're not like, we'll just keep doing it because Texas just kind of stopped running the ball for some reason, but yeah. Okay. So do Kleiman and Klanderman increase the amount of rotation to keep bodies fresh? I thing is, I'm not sure they have the people to. That's where I'm at. On the defensive line, yeah, they have the depth to do that. Defensive backs, I because you what? Let's assume Julius does come back. You have behind him, you have Omar and you have Jacob Parrish, and then you even have a guy like Jordan Wright, who yeah. I think there's. It seems like they're trying to redshirt him at this point. But he has played uh, at least one game this year, so he probably has a free game available if he yeah. wants a red shirt still. Yeah. So corners, I'm not worried about. Safeties, I... It's... The, we can rotate in Sincere. Sincere. TJ. Sincere. I, I really don't TJ want to see TJ against these, these receivers. He'll have to play a few snaps. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, uh, we'll probably might see VJ Payne for a snap or two. Um, there's probably a four solid four man rotation with a little bit of five at safety. So not exactly what you'd want, but it's something. Linebacker is going to be tough. 
Yeah. Linebacker is going to be very, very tough. Austin Moore is going to be playing a ton of snaps. In he this may, game. he may not have, he may not leave the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be tough. He, we may see Gavin Forche, uh, in an obvious passing situation. Uh, uh, just go on like a, Oh, he'll play probably Sam rather. Yeah. Um, but, um, there's there's a few guys that can maybe come in uh, here and there just to give him a spot snap uh, just every once in a while because um, he will need breaks, but we'll see. Yeah. Next question, who wins the turnover battle? Um, I'm tentatively going to say K-State because I like the idea of our defensive front going up against uh, a... Uh, uh, not particularly great offensive line. Uh, although I will say it's just as likely that neither team turns the ball over, honestly, in this game. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I think Spencer Sanders has kind of, he's had a quite a few times where he's, he should have been turnover in these last couple of weeks. I think that his luck kind of runs out, even though he did turn the ball over once against Texas. I should have turned it over more, and I, I don't think he's going to be able to get that lucky against K-State, especially at home. I, I If he does get that lucky and that luck continues, I will be exceedingly frustrated, but I think K-State wins a turnover battle, and you, of course, have the last question before projected MVPs in the score. Yeah, as what does the linebacker room even look like in this game? Your guess is as good as mine, but going off of Kleiman's answers, for the first half, it'll be Des, Des Purnell at Sam, mixing in with Gavin Forche. Uh, Des Purnell didn't, he actually played quite well uh, in Iowa State game, so I'm not particularly I worried. I have no there. worries with Desmond Purnell. No. Uh, Mike is, it sounds like Nick Allen and Bo Palmer, which I have questions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely a little bit concerning. There's a, there's probably a non-zero chance we see Jake Clifton get a snap or two at yeah. middle linebacker. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe but, maybe in a, in a low leverage situation we see Clifton get on the field. A little yeah, bit. yeah, just to give him a blow. But... Just yeah, just a spell. Will linebacker is Austin Moore, probably followed probably by Clifton right behind him. Yeah. I don't know. Who is our backup, Will? I think it's Nick Allen. <laughs> I think it's Nick well, that's Allen. not fair because he's the backup Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I crew? It might be crew. Yeah, it might be crew. I can never remember crew play Sam or Will. Des plays Sam, and I think Crew plays Will slash... No, I don't think he plays Mike. He's definitely not a Mike, but he's either a Will or a Sam. And he he yeah. honestly, he might do a little bit of both. But, he Because he's got the length to uh, do either, honestly, I think. Yeah. Uh, he just doesn't have the, the frame to play Mike. Yeah, true. All right, next up is... Projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I'll start with the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go Malik because that is probably the one variable that I at least know will play. <laughs> um, 
I think that Malik has a big week this week because their corner, their defensive back room is not very good. They play a lot of man coverage. I think this is a group that Malik can body. I think that this is a game where he can use his size and he can, you know, finally get those home runs that you know, we've been waiting for him since like what the first, well, actually, no, he had a home run last week, but yeah. waiting for it a home game since the first week, I'm going to go Malik. For me, if it's not Adrian at quarterback, I'm going to say a man's big Willie Howitzer. Um, however, if Adrian does play, I do think he'll be a little limited. So I will say deuce. You can also start with the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Defensively, I'm going to say Josh Hayes. I'm assuming Josh is going to be playing. Uh, so I'm rolling with him uh, on the, the safety side of the ball because he's going to be big and run support again and uh, securing uh, some some of the over-the-middle stuff. Uh, Josh Hayes has been really, really, really good for us this year. Uh, so he, he needs to come up big against this Oklahoma State passing attack. Yeah. I went with Felix because I think that this offensive line is ripe for abuse. Like, they're not going – they very simply – not many offensive lines can truly block Felix – I this offensive line can definitely not block Felix. Not at all. Uh, honorable mention for me was Eli Huggins because they're going to be having like they're probably third string center in unless the uh, Philip, uh, whatever his name is, their starting center, whatever his name is. Uh, but yeah, that's the offensive and defensive MVPs. Now it's time for score projections. So. This is a game that has a lot of variants, a lot of variables, much more than, you know, not many more, but you know, a couple more than your average game. You have to even wonder who is going to be playing and where are they going to be playing. You have to wonder who the starting quarterback is going to be. <laughs> but all that being said, I think that Kleiman finally breaks the curse that, you know, that Mike Gunny has had over him ever since he's gotten here, which grants only three games. But I think that Kleiman finally breaks out of the stranglehold of Mike Gundy and beats the former wacky segment of the week champion 38 to 28 in favor of the K-State Wildcats, leaving them happy. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the implications of this game after the score projections. Yeah, I'm going to say 35, 28 cats uh, in this one. But yeah, like you said, Ace, we're going to learn a lot about uh, this team this week, partially just by who's actually available uh, and who's 100%, and then also how they're going to respond uh, after a really emotional loss uh, and a game that's frustrated the staff, the players, and the fan base a lot. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a huge week because I think that everybody's in agreement. We need to get we needed to get at least one out of our uh, three games against TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, preferably two. Yeah. So at this point, if you want the preferable uh, situation, uh, we, you have to win these next two uh, to keep your uh, good shot at Arlington alive. Um, but I, I think that we get the win at home. And as they said, break the curse. Yeah. And uh, the reason why this game is so important is because if we win this game, we truly do control our own destiny. We, we hold the tiebreaker over Oklahoma State and, you know, the only other team that would really compete with us in for that second spot would be Texas. So we would truly, we control our own destiny right now. 
But if we win against Oklahoma State, I think they're the bigger threat to be the second team in Arlington. If we hold the tiebreaker over them, I would feel much, much more comfortable and we wouldn't be sweating it going into that last week. Assuming like Oklahoma State wins out, they still, you know, don't hold the tiebreaker over us. So that if I had to pick one game to win out of the next two, I'm I would begrudgingly make myself okay with dropping Texas if it guaranteed that we win this Oklahoma State game. Because I think Texas is one game away from the wheels falling off. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Uh, This game against Oklahoma State is definitely more important uh, to get to Arlington. I mean, you you said it best. I mean, Oklahoma State is the threat uh, right now to that number two spot, uh, assuming TCU continues to win. so this is this is really the big you need to win this game uh, because if you don't win this, then everything after is going to be a must win. And I'd rather that not happen. Uh, so I, I really hope that we take care of business this weekend um, and uh, preferably we get Texas as well. But I would sacrifice a Texas game if I knew that we would beat Oklahoma State and win all the other games. Yeah, Because Texas is the game that probably wouldn't matter as much uh, as opposed to Oklahoma state, but we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. But that's, that pretty much puts a bow on it. Connor, do you have anything else before we ride out? I just hope we stay healthy. That's all. (laughs) I hope both teams have fun. Knock on wood. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, capital C, and cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doomtang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.